As uh, as our sister Jill said, my name is Cameron. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we just welcome you to um, what is has become, I guess, not since COVID, but COVID certainly made it um, kind of a regular thing here. I was I put my mic on to mic check this morning, and I was like getting a little PTSD about having to do this for like three months straight back in 2020. Um, but uh, I don't know, as I look back on that season of our life together, I look, honestly, I look back on it with fondness and um, think that the, that the Lord did a, a lot of incredible things in our midst and that the Spirit of God was in the tent, right? And, um, and that's, uh, that's not something that's too uncommon for the people of God, right? That the, the, the Spirit of God traveled with the people of God, uh, the, the nation of Israel, everywhere that they went because he's not he is not a god that is confined by walls and roofs right or addresses right by faith in jesus christ the spirit of god lives in us right and so he goes with us wherever we go um we uh we are in the we're in a we're in a series in a, a book of the bible the gospel of mark um it's the second gospel if you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open it. If not, I think it's printed. The Gospel of Mark, or the passage that we're studying today, is in the um, yeah, it's in your it's in your bulletin. Your bu- bulletins. First time we've ever said that at Conduit, right? It is in your bulletin. Um, and uh, I mean, this is just like. This is like old home week. We have bulletins today. We're having a potluck, right? You know, it's like the it's like your grandma's church, right? Um, no, we love it. We love it, and we think it's a great opportunity for us to love one another and just to uh, grow in our relationship with each other. So, okay, here we are in um, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter two uh, is where we're going to be. Um, I don't know, I don't know how it is in your life. Um, I have, you know, I, I have five kids. I talk often about them. Um, one of the things that I love about, um, virtually I love all my kids obviously, but one of the things about them that I love and admire the most is they're really like keen and easy ability to make friends with anyone, anywhere they go. Like, and I think this is in some ways a kind of a feature in all kids that they, they, um, they, they, they approach life with a kind of just a raw sense of vulnerability that doesn't make them really um, very cautious in interpersonal relationships, especially like at the outset. And so they're just like, when they meet a person, they're all in, and it's hugs, and it's friendship, and it's like, tell me your life story, and I'll tell you my life story right from the get-go. And I don't know if it's, um, you know, maybe cynically so, that the realities of life beat that um, curiosity and vulnerability out of us as we're adults, but it seems to me that it's a little bit more difficult to create to either create and or maintain deep, close-knit, vulnerable, 
God-honoring friendships into adulthood. Anyone else have that experience where you're like, ah, you know, just uh, friendship is hard, you know? And if you, if you're kind of like, sometimes I say to my wife, I'm like, ah, you know, like we're 40 years old. We have a busy, I got busy, busy life and kids and family and job and all of this. Like if you're not in the circle now, man, it's not that I don't want you in the circle. It's just, it's just tough to make time to be in the circle at this point. And to develop good friendships and to be to be the type of friend that you want to be and to have others and allow others the permission to be the type of friend that you need them to be for you can become real difficult. And uh, often, you know, we <laughs> you you know there's this kind of an old adage like, how do you know who your friends are, who your true friends are? Um because a lot of us will, will say to people like, hey, let me know if you, if you need anything, right? Let me know if you need anything. It's almost kind of like it just rolls up our tongue, like I'm just supposed to say it, right? Let me know if you need anything. Well, actually, I'm moving next week. Oh, well, I'm busy that day. Um, like, well, I didn't even tell you what day it was that I'm moving. It was like, I know, I'm busy that day um, already. And there's this, there's this, there's this, uh, there's this way that you can tell who um, who your true friends are. And you know, it's funny to say, well, it's all about who will actually help you move and who won't actually help you move. And I'm, I'm of course like 95% joking there. Um, but there are ways I think that we can come to discover both what real, what real God honoring friendship is like, but also who do we want to be in the lives of others as their friends and who can we ask others to be in our life as our friends. And then the third is, um, we want to create some application for us as a church around who we desire to be as a community when it comes to friendship with others. And so uh, if you have your Bible or have in your bulletin here, we're going to read from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, um, a, really, a really great story about friendship that doesn't appear to be a story about friendship all the time. A few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home, and so many gathered there that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and, after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why? 
does this fellow talk like that? He is blaspheming because who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say? To say to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, he looked to the paralytic and said to him, I tell you, son, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Now there are there's there's lots of different there's lots of different things happening in this passage. One of the things, um, hey buddy, how you doing? Yep, your motorcycle's great. We get it. Um, uh, well, there's a lot of there's a lot of things there's a lot of things happening in this passage here, and um, one there's there's several different people groups that we see. We see. Uh, we see a crowd of people who have pressed in around Jesus as he's come into the area of Capernaum, entered a house, and it says there's so many people there that there's not even that they're that they're packed in the house out and even around the outside of the house. There's the um, the men that are carrying the guy who's uh, paralyzed, a paralytic, up onto a roof and digging a hole and lowering him down to Jesus. Um, there's obviously Jesus himself. Then there's, it says, the, um, the uh, religious leaders of the day, teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, how can this man who, who has not been established as the Son of God, who has not been established as the Messiah, who has not been established as God himself, and here he is, he's proclaiming to forgive the sins of this paralytic. And there just having an absolute fit about this. And um, to kind of maybe kind of clear up this, this section of the, of the Scripture, if you look at the, you know, kind of starting at verse 8 through verse 11 or so, there's this interesting interchange between Jesus and the teachers of the law where they are essentially accusing Jesus of blaspheming or speaking... Um, speaking improperly either about or to or in regards to um, God the Father. And the reason that they are accusing them even in their own accusing him even of their own minds of blaspheming is because Jesus proclaims when the paralytic is lowered down in front of him he says son your sins are forgiven. And they all they all say in this moment, right? Like, how, how can you for how can you proclaim to forgive sins? Because no one is able to forgive sins except God Himself. And so Jesus, in proclaiming forgiveness for the man, was by extension or default claiming that he was himself God. All right? 
that, that he had the power to forgive sins and so he could proclaim forgiveness of sins over, over this man. And so they're all losing their fool-headed minds, right? Like, you are not God. There is no way that you have the power to do this. You are blaspheming the true God by proclaiming that you can do something that only God can do. And so then he asks them a question because he knows the content of their heart. And he says, okay, tell me, you all, what is it, that, what is it that's easier to do? Is it easier in the, in the whole realm of all that is spiritual, all that is real, all that is true about life? Is it easier for me to utter the words, your sins are forgiven? Or is it easier for me to look at a paralytic and say, get up, take your mat, and walk away? And it's kind of a rhetorical question because it's obviously easier for someone to say, hey, your sins are forgiven, whether they actually are or not. Because if you have the authority or the power to look at a paralyzed man and say, get up, pick up your mat and walk away, then you are obviously, uh, you are obviously full of the power of God sufficient enough, right? Or full enough to look at someone and say, son, your sins are forgiven. So he says to them, so that you know that I have the authority to forgive sins, just as God does, watch. Son, pick up your mat, walk away, and go home. And the man who was once paralyzed has now been totally and completely healed. Right? No, like, shaky knees, no needing physical therapy, no, like, epic battle between being continually paralyzed and, like, coming to full health. The healing and the health is instantaneous, right? And the power of God is displayed in the man's life right now in the immediate. And so, and so both through the proclamation that the man's sins are forgiven and at, and through the actual act of his authority over the man's body to bring complete healing, Jesus does something kind of, he kind of covertly proclaims in this moment, I am the Son of God. I am who I said I was. I have the power to forgive sins, and I have the power and the authority to also heal the paralytic man. It was a revolutionary statement of Jesus to, to, in that moment that he didn't even actually say, he just demonstrated through the healing. Um, and, you know, some would say that that is the most significant portion of this whole little section. The proclamation of Jesus as indeed the Messiah, as indeed the Lord, as indeed the one who has the power and authority to both forgive sins and heal the paralytic. And I'm not arguing with that at all. I think it's you know, probably the most theologically deep portion of this scripture. But there are other aspects of this that we can see and we can learn from because other people are involved in this story as well. As we talked last week, 
Jesus was amassing this crowd of people who were consistently following him around to all of the towns where he was going because he was doing things like healing a paralyzed man, right? Um, exercising demons out of people's lives, um, teaching, teaching the people with authority and with power. There was an incredible, um, there was an incredible draw to someone like Jesus. And, and this, this time is no different. The, the demand for people to be around Jesus and to see him um, in the busyness of his ministry remained. It says in verse 2 that so many had gathered that there was no room left, not even outside of the door. And so he preached the word to them that there was, that there was no room for anyone else in the house where Jesus was at. And so much so that the crowd had begun to filter out of the door. It would be like if we were preaching inside there, right? And the whole sanctuary was filled. And then the line of people came out under here and they were looking into the, um, looking into the window and just completely enamored with wanting to get a picture of Jesus or be with Jesus. Um, and... So there, imagine like Jesus teaching the word of God. He said the, it says in verse two that he was preaching the word to them, and then we see in verse three that there's this another small group of people who came. Um, the the they're they're just classified as the men, right? Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. So you get this. You get this like picture of you know like you got this cot right and there's a guy on each corner and they're carrying on that cot this guy who was paralyzed all right and then the story really begins to pick up like where is mark going with the retelling of this story when i read this story i i i tend to read it through the lens of the commitment of this man's friends to see him healed no matter what the cost. No matter what it cost them personally. No matter what the obstacles were. No matter how they would be viewed or looked at in the eyes of the crowd or the world. No matter the personal sacrifice that they would have to endure in order to see this man healed. And uh, for me, I, I see in it a picture of the type of friendship that I would want to pray happens and occurs and is evident and real in my own life um, and the type of friend that I would like the Lord to make me in the lives of other people. Here's something that we maybe we sometimes overlook, maybe 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 you don't overlook it. Sometimes I think it's easy to overlook is this. I want you to hear me really closely. Um, your friends matter. And and I don't just mean they matter because well yeah, friends matter and yeah, it's uh, important to have friends. But I mean, 
I mean the character of your friends matters. The people that you are close with in in like close intimate relationship, I'm not like in even in friendship, the intimacy the friendship intimacy that you have matters. The people that you spend your time with matter. Those who you are allowing to um, speak into and invest in your life matters. The people that you surround yourself with matters. Um, several times within scriptures, it's quoted across several different. Now, Jesus himself says that that bad company, what? Corrupts good character, right? It's not just something that you see, right, like on a on a um, on a picture at Hobby Lobby, right? It came from the it came from the mouth of the Lord Himself, right? That bad company corrupts good character, and we think, oh well, you know, like, but but my but my witness is more important in their life than their than their negative character is on my own. And while I think we can we can talk uh, we can talk at some point about the balance between um, the um, like the corruption of character that happens when we surround ourselves with people who have um, a purely worldly perspective, right? That that there is that there is a balance that we must that we must um, that we must strike between being willing to surround ourselves with those that co- can corrupt the character within us and surrounding ourselves with those who no matter what the obstacle or what is what is going on in our life all they want to see for us is us get closer to Jesus they just want us closer to him they see the brokenness of our lives they see the pain in our lives. They see the hopelessness of our lives. They see the paralysis of our lives. And their only goal in that moment is to be like, I don't care what it takes. I don't care what's in the way. My goal is for you is to get you closer to Jesus. If I can get you closer to Jesus, I get you closer to the place where you can find healing. And the problem is, is that we oftentimes spend our, spend our time in the gray area where a friendship seems good enough to encourage us or we have fun or they're really funny or they say kind things or we hold like common hobbies together. And since we hold common hobbies together, we think that uh, friendship is strong and that it will stand the test of time but listen will that person in the moments where you need healing the most will they give you the kind and encouraging text message that you need or will they pick you up off the mat that you're laying on and carry you to Jesus where you can get healing from the only person that can actually bring it into your life because those are the types of people you want to be surrounding yourselves with those are the type of people that you, I, I get this picture of like those four guys, that crowd of men who are like, hey, who wants to go see Jesus today? I hear there's some extra tickets on sale. Maybe we could, 
maybe we can push our way through the crowd and we can get a front row seat to the to the to the show, right? And and another guy from the back is like, man, I don't. What are you talking about? It's not us that needs to get close to Jesus. It's we have any gyms in the room in the tent? Good. I'm not going to be picking on anyone who's actually here, right? We got Jim over here, who's who's completely paralyzed, right? And and he needs the healing. Like it's not about what we want anymore. It's not about it's not about our ability to get there and to be a part of the crowd and to and to hear the teaching and to be a part of the excitement and hopefully like just be a part of all that's going on our sole goal is to get this man who who we desperately want to see healed to the feet of the only one that can heal him we don't have the power to do that only jesus does guys we like this is our mission now this is our goal this is our job and nothing is more important than that the people that you surround yourself with matters Will they get you to the feet of Jesus no matter what? The friends knew that it was only Jesus that could heal them, so they did whatever they had to do in order to get that guy to Jesus. Now, I I don't know how you feel about the roof of your house, but I'm, I'm quite... Um, I'm quite fond of of my house. Without any holes, man-sized holes in it, right? Um, I I would like to preserve the fidelity and structure of the thing that keeps my family and my biggest financial investment safe. Okay, so imagine the. Quite honestly, imagine the audacity of the men who said, uh, all right, guys, um, there's no way through this crowd. There is only one way. There, there, is only, there is only one way to get this man to the place where he needs to be. Now, think about, like, if I came to you this morning and I said I gotta tell you a story from my life this week you guys are not gonna believe it some guys climbed up on top of my roof chainsaws hammers pry bars they cut a hole in it they cut a hole in my roof what would your reaction be on my behalf shock right I hope right shock like how dare they did you call the police? Did they get arrested? Did they fix it, right? Because obviously, like, like, who would dare do such a thing? It would generally, I think, be considered to be a thing that you shouldn't do from a cultural perspective. Like, culturally unacceptable to dig a giant hole through the roof of a house that was not yours. And the people that would do something like that, I think generally would be looked down upon as not really caring about the property of others, not being responsible or respectful, not having, not having a high regard for their own personal character or integrity. 
We'd be lambasting them on social media. How dare these people do that to something that's not theirs, right? And so to think that these men who climbed to the top of the roof and dug a hole through the roof so that they could lower the man down in front of Jesus were seen as the heroes of the story is really illogical because none of us would see them as the heroes of the story if they were digging down into your bedroom, right? We would all be like, what is your problem? What are you doing? This is not okay. What is the character, the godly character, of a friend that only desires to see their friend healed by Jesus, changed by Jesus, transformed by Jesus? One of the characters is a willingness to let go of any worldly good reputation that you have. Any renown that you have. Any sense of like how the world sees you, how they perceive you, what they think of who you are, or what you're about, right? Now, I'm not telling you to go cut holes in people's roofs or to be like irresponsible with other people's stuff in the name of Jesus, right? But what I am telling you is that there are often times where we can be stuck between the hard decisions of or like doing hard things, doing like socially unacceptable things in order to take someone who is completely broken in life and pick them up and carry them to the foot of Jesus so that they can experience healing because we're too embarrassed to think about what the world around us is going to say if we love someone enough to say, I don't care about what others say, I only care about seeing you healed before Jesus. Right? And that's the type of friends that we want to have the type of friends say it doesn't matter to me it doesn't matter to me what the world thinks of me it doesn't matter to me um it doesn't matter to me the reputation that i have it only matters that this person right here gets to the feet of the one right who can truly who can truly um who can truly heal them here's the thing right um, there, there's another reason that your that your that your friends matter, and why I think that your the closest friends in your life should be the people that are walking as closely with Jesus as possible, right? Um, and I will I want I want you to hear this really close because Jesus Himself even alludes to the nature of their friendship. Okay, when they're Imagine they, they've climbed to the top of the roof. They've started to dig a hole. They're lowering the man down through the roof. I can imagine, right, that Jesus is just looking up, being like, you guys are absolutely crazy, right? And uh, I'm, I'm kind of imagining the inner monologue of Jesus in the inner monologue of those in the room who have seen such an audacious move in order to get someone healed. And Jesus says something to the man that is kind of, that we maybe don't expect in verse 5. 
He said, son, since your faith has been so great and you convinced your friends to carry you here and climb up onto the top of the roof and you paid them a lot of money, right? And they dug a hole and now you convinced them to lower them down. Because of your great faith, son, your sins are forgiven. It's not what Jesus says at all. In fact, he doesn't even address, we don't even know if the paralytic man had faith or not. We don't. We have no idea the nature of that man's relationship with Jesus or whether or not he was like wanted to go, whether he wanted it or not. All we know is that when Jesus looked up and saw the man coming down, it says he saw when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Son, your sins are forgiven. When he saw whose faith? The faith of the paralytic? No. When he saw the faith of the friends who had climbed to the top of the roof and began to lower him down in front of Jesus, Jesus honored the faith of his friends in his healing and forgiveness. We receive it. We, we receive it. Yeah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. We'll take it. We'll take it from the Lord on that one, right? We don't get much indication of the paralytics, either like his complicity with or without the whole lower me through the roof thing. What we do know for sure is that when Jesus saw their faith, he said to them, son, your sins are forgiven. That's what we know, is that Jesus saw and honored the faith of those who brought Jesus to him. There have been times in my life where I have been, I have, exp I have like walked through a trial or I've been suffering, or I have, um, I have been some, like something going on in my family, or I've been experiencing something where I know in my head the type of faith that, that God desires me to have in order to experience and pursue the healing that Jesus brings but that in the midst of my circumstance and in the midst of how heavy it is and in the midst of how hard or dark it is or how hopeless that I feel, I cannot muster the spiritual faith to even call on the Lord for healing. I am simply sitting under the weight of the thing that is so incredibly difficult and hard. So much so that I... When I, you know, like someone will say, hey, what's going on? You look like something's going on. Like, can I pray for you? Yes, I, I do need prayer. What do you want me to pray for? I don't even know. I don't know how to articulate it. I don't know how to talk about it. I don't know how to get it up out of me in a way that you'll, that you'll play, pray with any specificity um, or pray towards something really, really like, 
point yet? I, I don't know. And how many times in our lives have we been in a position where you so desperately needed God to intervene, but you just didn't have the faith inside of you to even ask? You just couldn't get there. It was, it was like suffocating on your soul to even get the words out. It's like in Mark chapter 9, one of the, one of the great stories of the, the, gospel, of, uh, the gospel of Mark. Uh, in Mark chapter 9, right around in the 20th verse or so, 24th verse, um, uh, this father comes to Jesus and says, hey, will you heal my boy who has been afflicted by an evil spirit? He's been... He's, uh, he's been demon-possessed. So they brought him, verse 20 of Mark chapter 9, and when the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion, and he fell on the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And verse 21 of Mark chapter 9, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? Well, from childhood, he answered, it's, often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, please take take pity on us and help us. Right? He's not even asking for healing, right? He's like, will you just have a little bit of pity? He just just be like, well, I'm sorry you guys are experiencing this. Just have a little bit of pity. And Jesus was like, if you can, he said, if you can just have a little bit of pity, if you can, everything is possible, Jesus says, for him who believes. Now, what an incredible honesty that the man has with Jesus. Because we all want to be like, oh, I believe. I believe. Oh, I believe. I believe. I believe. Right? Our lives don't show that we believe. Our lives show that we're living kind of in this faithless walk that God is even involved or wants to heal or wants to bring healing, right? But that we, we, we think that God just wants to be our friend, right? But not really actually affect the brokenness of our lives, the brokenness of our hearts, the brokenness of our relationships, right? We just, we want God to take pity on us, but not to transform us. And our belief shows that. We don't anticipate any healing. We don't anticipate any, any, we have no expectation of life being any different than it is right now. But we say, oh, I believe, yeah, I, I to- totally believe it. Totally believe it. What do, we, what do we normally mean? I believe it in someone else's life. I believe God can change someone else. I believe God can change that, can change that marriage, can change that heart can change this disease, can change that circumstance, but all of mine, there's no changing there, right? Not going to change that. The man's honesty here in response to Jesus is like, man, if we could all have like a sliver of the honesty that he had, we might experience the same healing that he had, that his son had. Because what does he say? 
I do believe everything is possible for him who believes, Jesus says. And the guy's like, I do believe, but man, I need help with my unbelief. He's like, I got a little bit of belief, Jesus. I got a little bit, but what I, what I really need help, I don't need help with my belief. I need help with my unbelief. My unbelief that you can do it. And maybe not even just my unbelief that you can do it because I brought my son to you because I believe that you can. But I think it's more a little bit of my unbelief that you want to do it. Many of us sitting in this space of needing healing are in a place not of believing that God can do it, we, we are not disbelieving that God can do it. We, we all generally believe that God can do it. Usually, what my experience is, is that, is that people struggle with, with wondering whether or not God wants to do it. Whether He wants to heal you. Whether He wants to bring wholeness to that relationship. Whether He wants to transform both the inner realities of your life and the outer circumstances of your life. Does he, does he want to do it? Do I believe that God wants to heal me? It's an interesting, uh, interesting that right before this story that we're reading in Mark chapter 2, at the end of Mark chapter 1, Jesus deals with a little bit of that sentiment when he is encountered with a man who has leprosy. Because the man who has leprosy in Mark chapter 1, verse 40, it comes to him, begs him on his knees, Mark says, and he says this to Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And so he, he, he spells out that reality to Jesus, or at least how he understands it in his own heart. Jesus, I have leprosy. If you, I'm, I'm coming and I'm begging you on my knees. If you are willing... You can make me clean. This is Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 40. What is the response of Jesus? Well, you tell me, have you lived for me lately? How much faith have you, uh, have you shown? All right? You're being nice? Are you being nice more than you're being mean to other people? Is there more good check marks than there is bad check marks in you or, or in your life? Like, okay, you, you show me the content of your life and then I'll decide whether or not I'm willing to heal you or not. And it's not Jesus' response at all. It's not a tit for tat in the kingdom, right? It's not like you do enough good, Jesus will bless you enough. You do enough bad, more bad stuff is going to happen. Jesus sees this man begging before him who says, Jesus, if you're willing, you will make me clean. And it says in Mark chapter 1, verse 41, filled with compassion for the man. Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he said, be clean. Are you, are you willing to receive by faith the words of Jesus for the leprous man to be willing to heal you? Because, because Jesus is saying, hey man, I'm willing. I am full of compassion for those begging for healing. 
full of compassion for those who are broken and hopeless and paralyzed and have and feel like that they're at the end of the rope or the end of the hallway or at the closed door or with no other option. I am willing, Jesus said. And he healed them. You see, sometimes we don't have the faith to believe or the strength to continue on our own. And our and and what we need is friends to come to our side to carry us to the place where we can find true healing, true reconciliation, true wholeness, and true freedom. Because we have long ago stopped believing that Jesus can and that He's willing. And it's in those moments that you need people around you who can believe on your behalf until God has seated deeply within you your belief to believe all on your own. Do you have those people? Or are you, quite honestly, wasting your time with people who do not believe in Jesus at all for your healing? Now, not only should is it like a do we want these friend do we want these friends in our lives? Yeah, we we do. I want these friends in our lives, right? Not only do we want these friends in our lives, right? But listen, corollary question: Are you that friend in someone's life? It's I mean, it's great to want them. The other question is, are you the friend? Are you the friend that believes for others in the, when, when they are in unbelief? Are, are you the friend, right, that, that can believe for the healing in someone else's life when they've lost? You can see God moving in their lives in ways that they're unable to see in the moment. And you can speak that faith into their lives saying, I see the Lord working. We are not going to give up. I'm going to, we're going to carry you to the finish line that is the presence of Jesus. And I will carry you as long and as far and as high as is necessary until we get you to the place where you can find true healing. Can you, are you that friend? Are you willing to be that friend for others? And I want you to be, I want you to be cautious about something, okay? You cannot heal your friends. Don't, these, these two things are, are kind of like really close parallel tracks here. Being the friend that carries someone to the place of healing and producing the healing yourself is not the same thing. And we often, because out of a sinful place of our own self-importance, we say, I'm going to be a really close friend to you because being a really close friend to you is the thing that you need in order to be healed. 
And that's not true. Okay? Because we don't heal other people by our presence. We don't heal other people by our words. We don't heal other people by our, account- by our accountability over them or our encouragement for them or our admonition or exhortation over them. We do not heal people. We are not the achievement of healing. We are an instrument that God uses to help take broken people from the place that they are at in their brokenness and throw them over our shoulder and carry them to the place where true healing can happen. That is the role of a friend, is to recognize the limitations of our own ability and say, I can't heal you, but I know the one that can. Let me walk with you, carry you, drag you, right? I don't care what it is, to the place where, not even to the place, to the person who can provide the healing that is necessary. You cannot fix your friends. You cannot fix your family. You cannot fix your spouse. You cannot fix your kids. You cannot fix your parents. You cannot we can we we cannot fix anyone. Right? Only only Jesus does the fixing. Amen. Only Jesus does the healing. Only Jesus does the transforming. Only Jesus does the changing. It's only and has ever been or will ever be Jesus that does the transforming in others' lives. And you have been fighting with that person and fighting with that person and fighting with that person for so long, thinking that, man, I just need to find the silver bullet thing. Say the right thing at the right moment. Create the right consequence. Create the right circumstance in their life where they finally come to the light. And guess what? They are moving further and further and further and further away because you are relying on your own understanding to bring them to a place of healing and you have not entrusted them to the presence of the person that has the power to heal them before anything and anyone, right? And until you come to a re- both a realization and an acceptance that you do not have the power to fix other people, you will constantly be under the weight of their influence. The influence of their decisions will be a burden that is eventually too heavy for you to carry. You want to see someone change, right? Lead them to Jesus. You want to see someone transformed? Carry them up to the top of the roof and dig a hole and bring them down to Jesus. Go to extreme lengths to get them to the place and the person where healing actually occurs. And stop fighting like you're stop punching the air around you thinking that you're making progress 
by fighting the invisible giant in their life. You're not making progress. You're just getting really tired and you're getting closer to quitting. Use your energy to get them closer to Jesus and watch Jesus fight the battle for you. And guess what? He hasn't lost yet. And he won't. Here's um, one of the, you know, I obviously I, I want friends like that. I desire to be that type of friend in other people's lives. And so there's a really deep pers- personal application for that, I think, to each of us in, in friendship, um, either being the friend or having the friend. But I will also say that I think that there's a, um, there's a deep application to us as, because y'all understand, right, that while, while you all came here in your own vehicles this morning, and you all, like, you have different last names and different families, and you're all like, we all, we all love the individuality of life, right? We're all our individual people. That when we, when we, when we express faith in Jesus Christ, and when we, um, when we are baptized into his death and into his resurrection, and when we are filled with his Holy Spirit, right? That, that yes, we are individual people who have made individual decisions, but we do not exist on simply an individual level any longer. That the, that the Word of God says that we are, we are a part of the body of Christ. Where, where the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. The eye can't say to the ear, I don't need you. That Jesus is the head of our body, right? But that we together are all one. Inseparable through our faith in Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit lives in us and binds us all together in faith and unity with one another. And so when I talk about the church, I talk about in sometimes, right, as the as the collective the collective body or community, right? The one one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit, one God and Father over us all and in all and through all us as the church. And as the church, we have for how we show up in the world. For how we interact both with a believing world and an unbelieving world. How we, how we approach the brokenness of the world and how we, how we attempt through the power of the Holy Spirit to be the body of Christ to a, to a world that is walking towards a cliff of destruction. Right, and so when we talk about what is the when we talk about the church, um, I I think that this that this passage in Mark is not only affects us on an individual level of friendship, but it should affect us and should speak to us as a collective whole church. The way in which we invest our resources here, you know, this silver bucket. That you, uh, that you put your tithes and offerings in, right? 
or if you give on the app, right? I want you to know that the, the resources, the financial resources that you give, that we seek to leverage them for the sake of the gospel in other people's lives, right? This isn't like your, this isn't like your weekly membership dues that you, like, that you have to, like, no, this, this is a way that you say the work of the church, the work of the collective body of the, like the, the filled Holy Spirit is actively working together to proclaim the gospel both in incarnation and proclamation to a world that desperately needs to know that Jesus is here to forgive them of their sins and to save them from eternal destruction. Right? And so, and so when, when, we come, uh, when we come together and we look at a passage like this, we say, okay, well, what does that matter to us individually? Okay, yeah, I'm going to go out and be a good friend. Or I'm going to go find some friends that want to get me to the feet of Jesus. But this is for the whole church, too. This is for the whole church. You know, so many people, so many people can come. uh, They do come. They come to church, right? The place. And never get healed. And never get set free from either the power or the penalty of sin in their lives. They sit, they sit their whole lives, butts in the pews, never responding to the conviction of the Holy Spirit upon their heart that has been proclaimed over their lives for years and years and decades and decades and decades. And the hardness of their heart has kept them in a place of rebellion against God and kept them in a place of of saying no to the Holy Spirit's desire to burn out of them every bit of sin so that they may experience the healing that is offered in Jesus Christ. Now, now, we need to understand the co-responsibility of the individual to respond to the proclamation of the Gospel and the church's responsibility to make sure that we are carrying those who are hard-hearted and broken and full of sin to the right place to find the right type of healing. Because we often do a great, great, great job at discipling people to the church, overlooking that there is a distinct difference between discipling people to a church and discipling people to Jesus leading people to become a part of a group of people that meets together once in a while, may do some fun things, and has a lot of community impact, right? But who does so outside of the context of the overflow of the reason that we do these things is because Jesus has saved me, man. He has transformed me. He has changed my life, right? From darkness to light, from death to resurrection, right? I was dead in my sins and trespasses. I am now alive through the power of God in Jesus Christ. He has filled me with His Holy Spirit. And it's out of that realization that now I respond as a man of faith, as a woman of faith, to gather with those who around me have experienced that same reality and go out and do it to all those that I meet with everywhere, every corner that I go to. 
I'm gonna pick up those people and I am gonna carry them to the feet of the place that I found my healing and my healing. That is who we are. See, the real danger, the real danger is if we go back into the story, the real danger is that we would become the crowd that just packs ourselves into a place just to hear the teaching, just to see what happens, just to be a part of the experience. Just pack yourself into the place, right? The real danger for us is that the danger of becoming the crowd that packs ourselves into a room but fails to make space in our midst for those who are willing to carry the broken to Jesus. Can you imagine what those in the crowd must have said when the friends showed up with the man? I have got to believe that their first option was not, let's go to the roof. It wouldn't be mine. That'd be like last resort, right? My first option would be like, oh, excuse me. Can we, can you guys like make some, make some room? We got this, like, look, we got this guy here and we want to get him to Jesus, right? Jesus is going to heal him, right? And the crowd who's like, hey, bro, this is my seat, Okay. Like I was here early. I sit here so the air conditioner doesn't blow on me. And it's where I normally sit. It's next to the row so I can get out quick, right? I want to talk to anyone after church, so I gotta get I gotta get my seat quick, right? This is my seat. I ain't moving. I got like there's no other seats. Like, sorry, you gotta find somewhere else to go. Like, I gotta imagine that the crowd was like, I don't know what like we were here first. And meanwhile, the four dudes who are actually like, he needs healing. Make some space. I know he doesn't look like you. I know it's a sacrifice for you to give up your seat so we can get someone through so that they can be at the feet of Jesus. But do you mind for a hot second if we bring the ones that are broken to the ones that can bring them healing? Right? It's all like, oh yeah, you tell them, Pastor. You tell them. Right? Until the person shows up that's like, man, we never seen them before. They look different. They're sitting by themselves. And we're like, pretending like we don't see them. Pretending like they're not there. Pretending like they don't belong. Maybe we know them already and be like, oh, can you believe it's here? I can't believe it. Like, I don't know what they're doing here. And all us righteous people here worshiping Jesus got some unrighteous people over here. And I don't know about that. I just get the sense of like how blinded the crowd must have been to the heart of Jesus 
to say to the men, sorry, there's not room for you to carry him through to meet with Jesus. How absolutely blinded must they have been to who Jesus was and what he actually wanted to do for that for the only option to be that this guy that these guys go to the roof. They are there for the show but not inclined to be a part of the people that were about getting others to the feet of the one that could save and heal. And listen church, that is who I pray we are and become. Not the crowd of people who packs ourselves in so tightly physically or emotionally or spiritually that we have no vision to see when broken people are in our midst and how we can help carry them to the feet of Jesus. I desire that our body here, our church, be the friends in the story, desperately fighting the crowd of stagnant believers or worldly unbelievers to get those who are broken around us to the feet of Jesus so that he can heal them. Not to get them to our feet, not just make them part of our church, not to disciple them to conduit, but to bring them to him and let him transform them. And then we welcome them into the community of transformed people who are on mission to go out and do the same over and over and over and over again. No matter how crazy or extreme it may look or sound or what they may say about us crazy people who are carrying people to the top of the roof in order to get them to Jesus. I do not care about the reputation of conduit in Jamestown. I do not care a single bit. I hope we are viewed as crazy, crazy for the cause of getting people to the feet of Jesus. I hope we are the weirdest bunch of people that any believer or unbeliever has ever met ever in the history of ever, right? The only reputation that I care about is the reputation of Jesus. The only character that I care about is the character of Jesus, right? Are we glorifying Jesus? Are we magnifying Jesus? Are we leading people to Jesus? Are we bringing people to the feet of the one that can heal them? That is what I care about. And that's who I hope that we both are and continue to become. Your friends matter. Okay? Your friends matter. Um, finding friends who are willing to bring you to the feet of Jesus uh, or lead you closer to Jesus in, in every situation is our goal. Being the friend that is willing to go to extreme measures to carry people to the feet of Jesus and being the church that is willing to do 
sacrificing personal reputation at the willingness to get to carry people to the feet of uh, Jesus. Let's have the worship team uh, come back forward as we spend some time in prayer. So let me let me pray for us here, and then um, we'll go we'll go back into worship, and then after worship we will we will. I think all of the food is prepared in long tables down there, down below. So if you have any dishes that you needed to put down there, uh, you can take them down there and place them on the table. Get your plates. Come back up here. Um, spread out. Have a good time. Um, yeah, I hope your potato salad isn't in the back window of your car or anything like that right now. Um, um, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll enjoy, we'll enjoy a meal together. If, uh, you know, those of you who are able to stick around long enough to maybe help clean up tables or stuff down there, that would be great as well. So let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your goodness in our lives. Thank you, Lord. Uh, we, Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ, who is our friend. Lord, we thank you for the example in uh, the Gospel of Mark of these men who were unwilling to accept their own role in this guy's healing, but were like, we know that Jesus is the one that heals, and so how do we get this man to Jesus? Let's, let's go do it. And the extreme measures, Lord, that they went to to ensure that, um, that this man would be at the place, the only place, where healing could occur. Father, may we be that type of person. May we have those type of people. of church. In Jesus' name, amen.